this is, I, I, didn't, um, I didn't plan this, but next Sunday is Mother's Day, and it is the next text in our series. Y'all aren't getting the irony here, right? <laughs> that's my text for next week, but I just want to go ahead and give you a heads up that that's, that's what we're going to cover, and we'll try and hit that in kind of a little bit more lighthearted fashion. Um, not quite your typical Mother's Day. Sorry. Oh, that's Colossians chapter 1. I was thinking verse 3, or chapter 3, sorry. When it comes, y'all, I I was like, why are they not seeing this the way I'm seeing this? But in any case, um, so anyway, we're traveling through a a series going through Paul's letter to the Colossians, and today we come to Colossians chapter 12. There we go. Okay, so there's, that'll be fun next week. I'm like, Lord, really? (laughs) Um, But in any case, um, so we're traveling through this series, and last week we looked at really kind of part one, and this is part two this week, of these two lists, these two competing lists that Paul gives. One of a life that looks like it's lived in the flesh, and then a second list, a list that looks like a life that's lived in the spirit, a life that is um, kind of at the the higher level, a high road of, of humanity. And so Paul describes that, and so there's a bunch of uh, virtues that Paul gives us today, and so we'll uh, study those and then see what difference this makes to your life and to mine. Our text comes from Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we'll be reading verses 12 through 17, kind of a little bit of a chunk of scripture here, but I think we're up for it. So I'm going to ask if you would to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 12. Here's the list of virtues, the list of what to do. Here we go, verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony." And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thank you so much. You can be seated. So we just want to dive into these virtues that Paul lists off. There's a whole bunch of them here. He kind of starts uh, there in verse 12, but it just continues through this whole passage. So let's start in verse 12 and look at these. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And then here come the virtues that Paul wants to see. Number one, compassionate hearts. Number two, kindness. He mentions humility, meekness, and patience. Um, I got a slide for you here, and this slide um, shows you, go ahead and flip to the next one. This slide kind of shows you each of these virtues with like a definition that comes uh, behind each one of them. So I'm just going to walk through these and give you a little bit of insight as to what Paul is referring to when he uh, gives these. So here's the first one on the list is compassionate hearts. Um, compassion, a person with a compassionate heart is someone who feels empathy towards someone who is going through a difficult circumstance. They have empathy towards someone who is suffering or grieving, somebody who's hungry or destitute or feeling neglected. Compassion is that inner pang of sadness that one feels when they cross paths with a person who is struggling. Furthermore, compassion is not just how we feel, but compassion actually compels us to action. Compassion is that inner pang again that will not allow us to just walk on by. Compassion is that, 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 that inner force that says, you know what, I need to stop here and I need to do something about this. A person without compassion, we would say, is someone who has a calloused heart. Number two, kindness. Kindness is a mellowing of all harsh and prickly aspects of human personality. 
A kind person has dull elbows. Kindness typically results in a generosity of spirit and of resources. Number three, humility. Humility is more than the absence of arrogance. Humility seeks to meet the needs of other people without any concern over who gets the credit. That's true humility. Number four, meekness. Some translations say gentleness. Meekness is the ability to take incoming fire without returning that in kind. So meekness allows for that oneself to be wounded and have darts thrown at oneself, but not to um, respond in kind. Uh, finally, patience in his list in verse 12. Patience is more than the absence of anxiety. Patience is the quality of being long-suffering. Patience is endurance. Patience quietly waits with optimism for, chance for a change in circumstances. Now that kicks things off, and that's just verse 12. And I think to myself, wow, you know, I could kind of stop right there. That's, if I could get all of those going in my life, then you know, I might, uh, might feel pretty good about how things are rolling out of my life. But Paul adds to that list, look at verse 13. He says, verse 13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So we'll add forgiveness to that list that he gave us a few moments ago. Forgiveness means holding no record of wrongs. Forgiveness means that I let go of all of the justice that is due me. Forgiveness means that I literally am able to erase the record of wrongs that have been committed against me. That's true forgiveness. In our men's breakfast, one of the guys said, you know what, I understand what forgiveness is, and um, it, it just seems almost impossible to do. I mean, that, that's, that's a really difficult thing for, for me to be able to do. And so uh, that's a really big ask. And so we talked about that, and we talked about the difference between forgiveness and trust. Um, just because I have forgiven somebody, just because I've erased the record of wrongs and I don't bring that back up and hold that over that person, um, that doesn't mean that I open my heart back up to them. It doesn't mean that I open them back into my life. That's trust. Trust has to be earned. Forgiveness is granted. Verse 14, uh, he says, Above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The word love that's written there in the Greek is the word agape. Um, you may be familiar with that word. It's a, a self-sacrificial kind of love. It's acting on the behalf of a person with no expectation of receiving anything in return. This is the kind of love that the Bible talked about, John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved, the word there in the Greek is agape, for God so agape the world that he gave his one and only son. This was a self-sacrificing kind of love. Now, in addition to love, verse 15, Paul talks about the peace of Christ ruling in your heart. End of verse 15, he admonishes the Colossians to be thankful in all circumstances. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Just like Paul is doing here with these words, he wants the Colossians to spur one another on toward living this way. When we get to verse 17, it's kind of a catch-all statement, if you would. Paul's list is not an exhaustive list, and so he says in verse 17, he says, hey, look, um, I'm sorry, verse 16, and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that would be worship. Verse 17, he says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, ask yourself, because this list is not exhaustive. You get in a situation in life, ask yourself, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus handle this situation? How would Jesus address these concerns that are being presented to me? And then from that estimation of how Jesus would respond, how Jesus would react, we then imitate Christ. All right, well, that's quite a list, isn't it? I mean, Paul's basically, he's raising the bar on how we are to live and how we are to treat other people. Um, and so that's our treatment of this text for today, which takes us to our most important question. 
Uh, it's a question we ask every week around here. What difference does all this make to my life? You say, Gordon, I appreciate Paul's optimism. Um, I appreciate what seems kind of idealistic coming from him. And as badly as I might want to live this way, I don't see how I could possibly pull all this off. I mean, he has set the bar really high. And it almost seems like Paul is being more aspirational, more inspirational than he is practical. And so, besides, if I go out of the door tomorrow morning and I meet the world this way with my dulled down elbows, the world is going to eat me alive. So what difference does all this make to my life? Well, that's a great question. Let's see if we can answer that. I thought it might be helpful, first of all, to offer up a scenario where we can see these virtues played out in a sort of real-life situation. So what I did, just in thinking about all this this week, I wrote a fictional short story. Uh, Don't grade me. This is not going to our English teachers, so y'all just be easy on me. But in any case, I wrote just a fictional short story that will help uh, perhaps put some of these virtues in a real-life scenario, or what could be a real-life scenario, and we can kind of see these things played out. So Um, Y'all see what you think. See, this is what I call Maria's Dilemma. Maria's Dilemma. Um, Okay, here we go. As day turns to night in Ukraine, Maria can feel the falling temperatures biting at her face. She stands outside what was her apartment complex, now just rubble covering the streets. A few fires can be seen dotting the avenue, shadowy figures huddled around a barrel trying to draw warmth. It's been a week since the last humanitarian aid truck came through. Supplies are running low, and how much longer they will be able to hold out, no one really knows. Pops can be heard off in the distance. Small arms fire. Maria has heard these before, and she's grown accustomed to the sound. Some resistance fighters had come through town earlier that day, dirt and soot covering their faces and clothes, their eyes sunken. They look as if they had not slept in days. She and the other villagers offered them a warm cup of tea, and they exchanged news of the progress of the war. She recognized one of the men as her high school science teacher. She remembered that he had also coached the girls' basketball team. Why is this happening, she asks. Men abruptly drafted into an army with little organization and little chance of success, yet determined they fight on. Just then, Maria hears a rumble in the distance, heavy machinery, tanks, no doubt, As the noise draws closer and louder, she realizes it's a convoy of Russian soldiers. The roar of their diesel engines eventually engulfs the town. They pass by her little fire, truck after truck, until finally the town is occupied fully with hundreds of vehicles. Soldiers pile out. She hates these men. They're brutes, agents of death, pawns in another man's game. She and the other villagers will offer them no help, and they will ask for none. Not far off, Maria hears the cries of a wounded soldier. There's a commotion around him, soldiers shouting out orders. She keeps waiting for the medic to arrive, but no one appears. The minutes tick by, the situation becomes desperate, still no one. Maria knows that she's qualified. She spent the last 10 years working at an urban hospital in Mariupol, performing emergency surgeries. She's seen gunshot wounds. She's treated many an accident victim. And in these past months, she has patched up men and saved many lives. But that was different. Those were her countrymen. This is the enemy. What do I do, Maria thought? I save lives. That's my training. Do I just turn my back? Maria gathered herself, grabbed her medical bag, and headed off in the direction of the soldiers. As she approached the soldiers, she shouted, Vrach, Vrach, which means doctor in Russian. 
They parted and let her through. She knelt down alongside the man. His eyes were white and wide, full of fear. He was clearly in shock. A bullet had grazed his neck. His ear and hair were soaked in blood. Maria administered a local sedative, some of the last of which she had. She got to work stitching the man back to life. Several minutes passed by. The man's breathing settled. Calm covered his face. And he could see in the glaring lights of the truck a shiny object hanging from a gold chain around Maria's neck. It was swaying back and forth and moving to the rhythm of her work. He uttered, Isus, which means Jesus in Russian. Maria paused and looked down into his eyes. She realized the man had caught sight of her crucifix. It was a gift from her grandmother, the day of her confirmation into the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. She had always worn it. She liked wearing a material reminder that Christ had died for her sins. Again, the man said louder this time, Isus. Maria paused. Da, Isus, she said, which means, yes, Jesus. And then without hesitation, she added, Da, Isus, to Leboif, which means, yes, Jesus loves you. Now, while that's a fictional story, it certainly could have been played out many times over the past months. But what I hope it demonstrates is the difference between life lived at the level of the flesh and the life that the Bible is calling you and I to live. If we could have gone with life lived at the level of the flesh, then this story would have ended like a Hollywood movie, wouldn't it? Where the bad guy would have gotten what he deserved, Maria turned her back, and she would have let the guy bleed out and die. But Maria, filled with the Spirit of God, felt an inner compulsion to respond differently. Maria demonstrated compassion. She demonstrated kindness. She demonstrated forgiveness. She didn't trust this man. But she, and perhaps she hadn't fully forgiven him, but she demonstrated that she was working her way toward that. The natural man in all of us says, bring on the anger. Bring on the malice. Bring on the slander. Spew obscenities. Give them what they deserve. But the spirit-filled man or woman of God, here's the Lord Jesus say, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44, love your enemies. Pray for them. Pray for those who persecute you. Friends, we are being invited with Paul's list here in Colossians chapter 3 to a wholly different way of life. Two lists, each of them presenting us with a choice. Which are we going to choose? Are we going to choose life at the low road that is natural to all of us? It speaks of our, the human condition. It speaks of our sinful nature. Or will we live a life that reflects the things that are above? And might I remind us that it was the Lord Jesus, after he had been spat on, beaten, tortured, crucified, hanging from the cross, who said, Father, forgive them. Will we be, will be, will we be defined by sexual immorality and impurity and passion and evil desire and covetousness, the things of the latter or the former list? Will we be defined by anger and malice and wrath and obscenities? Is that how our co-workers will know us? Or will we put those things to death? Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And will we put on, Colossians 3 and verse 12, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved is who we are in God's sight. Will we 
will the holy and beloved of God be defined by compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness. Verse 13, forgiving each other as the Lord Jesus has forgiven us. Is that who the world knows when they meet you and I? Again, that's quite a tall order. That's quite a list that Paul puts out in front of us. Nevertheless, I say, as I was studying through this this week, I say, yes, that's how I want to live. That's who I want the world to meet when they meet Gordon Griffin. And I assume that the same is for you. But the question is, and this is where we want to spend the rest of our time today, is can this be done? I mean, is this just aspirational? Is this just inspirational talk, but not really practical for regular human life? And so uh, the answer to that question is, can we a person live this way? The answer to that question is yes. Flip over in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, or you can just follow along with us on the screen. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Paul writes these words. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. The old person that Paul used to be, he says, is dead and gone. Think about this. This is the Apostle Paul, who separated husbands from wives, threw the men in jail, perhaps threw the women in jail, orphaned their children. And he was doing this for years. Stood there while Stephen, first martyr of the Christian church, stood there while Stephen was, was and condoned the act while Stephen was uh, stoned to death. Uh, this was an angry man. This was a man full of malice. This was a man full of hatred. This was a man who was on a mission to go rub out anybody who didn't agree with him. And the Apostle Paul says, I no longer live. That guy that the world used to know and that my neighbors feared, that guy no longer lives. He's been crucified with Christ. He goes on to say, and now who lives in his place, he says, Christ lives in me. That is Christ's likeness, the person of Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on to say in the letter to the Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 22, he says, what does that life look like, the life in Christ? He said, it looks like love, agape love, sacrificial love. It looks like joy. It looks like peace. It looks like patience. It looks like gentleness. It looks like, verse 23, gentleness and self-control. Um, sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? That list sounds an awful lot like what he shared with the Colossians. These are the fruits of the Spirit. So it is possible for someone to live this way other than just the Lord Jesus. Um, and if you want to dig into that a little bit more, I would encourage you. I'm going to give you, a, not a reading assignment, but I'm going to give you a book for you to check out if you're interested in reading it. Um, John Wesley wrote a book. Uh, it was really kind of, it was a short monograph, but it was a, an essay that really defined all of the, the climax of his theological thought. And it was a book called A Plain Account of Christian Perfection. A Plain Account of Christian Perfection. Um, you can find it on Amazon. It may be like five bucks. Um, and it would be well worth your time if you want to dig into this subject matter more. of What does this mature, high-road life look like? And again, Wesley talks more about how you, how you and I can get there, which we're going to get to here in just a second. But a plain account of Christian perfection. Um, and I would encourage you to check that out. But in this life, in proportion to what, or what Wesley basically said was, yes, we can live at this level of being crucified with Christ, no longer living. The old person that I used to be is now dead and gone. Wesley said, yeah, we can live that way. Um, he talked about, don't get tripped up on the, on the title, a plain account of Christian perfection. Some people say, was well, Wesley saying that I can be perfect? No, he's not saying that you can be perfect. What he's saying is, this is more technical than you wanted, but anyway, I'm giving it to you, that perfection is not perfection of an absolute nature like that which Christ had, 
but it's perfection in proportion to all that you and I know is right. That what God has revealed to us at this point in our walk with him, that we can live at that level. We can live at the, at the, at the edge, if you would, of the love that we know, of the compassion that we know. And so he says, uh, through the power of the Spirit of God, we can be taken to that place. So I'd encourage you to check that out. Um, Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, he said, Be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I mean, if Jesus didn't think that we could live Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, why would he ever have told us to live that way? Wesley answered, asked that question. So if you want to dig more into that topic, go check that out. Um, the question, what that leaves us with, the question that leaves us with is how. How is this possible for us to live this way? Well, that, what we need to do is bring in the spiritual disciplines. I've got a slide for you here. There are a number of what I like to call, I call them spiritual exercises because I think it just, I can relate to that better. Um, exercises are something that we go and do, and we do it in repetition, and we do it multiple times throughout the week, and then as we do those things, we get more and more into shape. For example, if I wanted to get big biceps like Thor, the god of thunder, right, because that's an aspiration that perhaps you may have, um, then I know that I need to go to the weight room, and I need to do it not just one day a week, not just a couple of days a week, but I'm going to need to go a number of times a week. But I'm not going to be able to start out with 40-pound dumbbells like Thor, the God of Thunder, does. I'm going to need to start out with 5-pound dumbbells or 10-pound dumbbells, and I'm going to work my way up toward that goal where I want to be. Um, I need to do preacher curls. I need to do bicep curls, standing curls, curls where you're sitting on the bench and doing those kind of curls. And so, but eventually, over time, I'll be able to progress. Eventually, over time, uh, I'll get swole, right? And so, I'm doing those exercises in an attempt to get more and more in shape. I mean, if Trayvon Walker, right, he got drafted this past Thursday, number one, good for George, I'm glad for them, they had a good showing there. But if Trayvon Walker had wanted to be number one in the draft but refused to go to the weight room, it never would have happened. He had to go to the weight room. He had to put the time in. And when he put the, after he put the time in, he was able to, um, able to, to make that, that, um, that draft pick. So let's take a look at these spiritual exercises and see if we can't help you and I come up with a plan. We'll start with Bible study. Yep, there's Bible study. It's all there. I'm making sure it's all there. So this, actually, this list comes from another of the book that I was going to tell you about this morning. I don't tell you about books that often, but I'm, here's another one. Um, it's called Celebration of the Disciplines. It was by Richard, Richard Foster. Richard Foster wrote this book, I think, back in the 80s. It's considered a classic um, of Christian literature. And so check that book out. He talks about um, one of the chapters, The Spiritual Disciplines. And, and actually, I think maybe... Well, the whole book's about the spiritual disciplines. But he talked about each of these, and so each chapter pick, breaks these down. But I just want to talk about Bible study for a few moments. If you're starting from scratch, so if a Bible study is an exercise, right, if it's going to help you build, get into spiritual shape, not just physical shape. If you're starting from scratch when it comes to Bible study and you go home, here's what I want for you to do. Um, every day this week, pick up your Bible either in the morning or in the evening, right before you go to bed or right before you, why, why did you wake up, uh, or maybe at your lunch break. I'm not sure whenever you want to do it. But have your Bible close by and reach over and grab your Bible and just open it up and read the very first thing you see. I'm in Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 1. I hope this is a good one. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. Close your Bible up, put it away, and be done with it. And move on with the rest of your day. And I want for you to do that. Remember, if we're starting from scratch, I want for you to do that every single day this coming week. Monday all the way through till next Sunday. Well, what are we doing by picking up our Bible opening it up, reading the first thing we come to. We're building a, 
A habit. Okay, you're with me. All right, we're building a habit. We're building, we're, we're engaging in an exercise, a spiritual discipline that will help grow you in your walk with the Lord. And then after you've done that for a week, remember we're starting from scratch. After you've done that for a week, just randomly opening up and reading the first thing that you see, closing your Bible back. After you've done that for a week, um, I want for you to start in Psalms and just read one Psalms a day. Pick any one that you want and let that be what it is that you read that, that every day that week. And then you just kind of grow it from there. But you have to get into rhythm. You have to get into a routine. You're building that habit. Same thing can be done with any of these spiritual exercises. You, as we engage in these spiritual exercises, it builds up our spiritual man or our spiritual woman. We get more and more into shape. You say, you know, I really like to be one of those people who's great at prayer. Well, then we need to spend some time. You don't get great at prayer by aspiring to be great at prayer. You get great at prayer because you spend time praying. And so um, just building these routines into our life, building these disciplines or these exercises into our life, and it will result in the Holy Spirit of God because that's where all this comes from. It will result in the Holy Spirit of God changing you on the inside so that what the world meets when it meets you is a heart full of compassion. Dull elbows. Meekness. Ability to take incoming fire and not return it back in kind. And friends, that is what we aspire to. And the Bible clearly shows us that you and I can live this way. But in order for us to get there, we got to get engaged. we got to get in shape. Let's pray together. Most gracious God, we thank you for just talking to us where we're living. Um, you have great plans for our lives. You have great um, places for us to go and things for us to do. And part of us arriving at those places, part of us achieving those goals, Lord, means we need to be in shape. And so, Lord, if there's some things this morning in our life that we can, some practices that we can introduce, that we can engage in, we just ask, Lord Jesus, that you would reveal those to us. And that as we engage in those over the coming weeks and months, as those become a habit, in our life. Lord Jesus, that we would see ourselves like the Apostle Paul, transformed from the inside out. Because, Lord, the husband we want to be, the wife we want to be, the parent we want to be, the neighbor, the co-worker, is a person, Lord, that when they look at us, they say, that person's different. They walk like Jesus walked. They imitate their Savior. Lord, as we come around this table now, we are reminded of your broken body and of your shed blood. We are thankful, Lord, that we know that heaven is a place where one day we will spend with you for all of eternity. We just ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd speak to us in the quietness of this space. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.
you'll stand with us. Come 